Okay, here's the situation. Our daughter Mia is leaving for her first sleepover. We have friends coming to stay, and we just got a puppy. So I go on Instacart and solve everything in one order from Kohl's. Fun PJs for Mia. Oh, new bedding for the guest room. And a vacuum cleaner that actually picks up pet hair. All delivered in as fast as 30 minutes. With Kohl's on Instacart, there's no such we can't fix. Visit instacart.com to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. $10 minimum order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to the Bible Answer Man broadcast with Christian Research Institute President Hank Hanegraaff. Our mission at CRI is not only to equip you with sound biblical teaching and spiritual discernment, but to help you become a winsome and fruitful witness of Jesus Christ. Because the credibility of our faith hinges on the answers we provide to life's biggest questions, there's often not a second chance to get those answers right. To learn more or to find resources to help you grow in grace, call 888-7000-CRI. That's 888-7000-274. Or go to our website at equip.org. That's equip.org. The following program was pre-recorded. And now, here's Hank Hanegraaff. Thank you very much, Randy. A lot of you hanging on will go right to the phone lines. First up is Jonathan. He's listening in Kansas City, Missouri. Jonathan, you're on. Hi, how are you, Hank? I'm doing wonderfully well. Wonderful. Uh, my question is about the Song of Solomon. And uh, I have a couple of friends where I attend church who have the belief that it holds some kind of double meaning, if you will, regarding Christ and the church. And when I read it, personally, I can't draw anything out of there other than a beautiful love letter from Solomon to his bride. And I was just wondering if you could shed some light or give some added insight or maybe even your own personal opinion or however you want to answer that. Sure. I wrote about this in my Legacy Study Bible and noted that because of its vivid portrayal of the physical and relational love between a man and a woman, some have wanted to find in the Song of Solomon an allegorical meaning, whereby Israel is pictured as Yahweh's betrothed bride, or the church as the bride of Christ. And I think while the notion of Israel and the church, which is merely the, you know, a diverse extension of true Israel, probably is the best way of putting it, as the bride of Yahweh is good theology, I think we should accept the song for what it is. It's a celebration, it's a frank expression of one of the greatest gifts God has given humankind, which of course must be responsibly enjoyed within the boundaries of marriage. Let's go back to the phone lines. We'll talk next to Jim. He's listening in Springfield, Missouri. Hi, Jim. Hi, Hank. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, I'm interested in what your take is on what's happening over in, in Israel and Palestine. You know, I'm not talking about end times prophecy and all that stuff. I'm talking about, are we getting the truth in the media about is Palestine just really defending their own land? Is that really their land? And it's been that was theirs for thousands of years, and and Israel's trying to take it over. Or what's your take on all that stuff going over there? Well, that's a complicated issue, and it's very difficult to unscramble the egg at this point. 
One thing that I would say about all of this is that we can't blindly follow any government. What we have to do is follow the principles of justice and righteousness and equity. And oftentimes I think that based on false theological presumptions, we do not do that. And we forget the plight of poor people or people whose land is being taken away from them. But again, you cannot unscramble the egg. And what we need to do is focus on justice, righteousness, and equity and recognize that we are, as Christians, not pro-Palestinian. We're pro-peace. We're not pro-Jew. We're pro-justice. We also should recognize that the principles of theology point us not to a tiny strip of land on the east coast of the Mediterranean Sea, but rather to a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully adorned for her husband. And that ultimately is our mother, as Paul puts it in Galatians chapter 4. So if we're fixated on the old Jerusalem, then we have our priorities in the wrong place because our heart should be bound to the new Jerusalem. She is free, and as Paul said, she is our mother. Okay, thank you, Hank. And also, um, I think I read on one of your articles one time, maybe it was in the Christian Research Journal, about um, a lot of the Palestines being Christians. Is that true? Well, absolutely it's true. There are a lot of Palestinians that are believers, and conversely, there are a lot of Palestinians that are not believers. If you go to Israel, you'll find some believers there as well. But it's a very difficult place to share the gospel. But I think ultimately we should not be focused on a person's ethnicity, but recognize that every single person is created in the image of God, that the image of God has been marred in the fall. And as a result of that, our goal and our commission is to share the gospel. God is not a respecter of persons. It's not about whether you're Jew or Greek. It's not about whether you are slave or free. It's not about whether you're male or female. If you are found in Christ. You are a child of the King. If you are not, you are still in the land of darkness, and your ruler ultimately is still Satan. And that's a result of that. It is our not only our prerogative, but it is our privilege to share the gospel wherever we are. You know, Peter at one time didn't want to spread the gospel to Cornelius because he had some racist tendencies at the time. And so God did something about that. He showed him a vision. And after Peter had seen the vision, then he said, ah, now I finally get it. God does not show favoritism, but chooses people from every nation and language that love and serve and honor him. So the issue is never, well, let me figure out what the ethnicity is of this person and have some kind of a bias against that person. No, whether the person is Jew or Palestinian, or whether they're Dutch or whether they're Swedish, whether they're American or Mexican, we need to be equipped, always ready to give an answer, a reason for the hope that lies within us with gentleness and with respect. All right. Thank you, Hank. You got it. Let's go back to the phone lines. We'll talk next to Darlene, listening in Walnut Creek, California. Hi, Darlene. 
Hi, Hank. Hi. I wanted to ask you a question. For many years now, I've been praying the scripture um, word for word of Colossians 1, um, 9 to 12, um, for a, um, oh, my family and a few others. And when I do that, you know, I recite the scripture because I know it by heart. And most of the time I will say for my children, my grandchildren, my husband, myself, and and then I mention some others by name. Is there anything wrong with doing that, praying that scripture for a group of people? Well, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I think there's everything right with it. And this is one of the most beautiful of all scriptural passages to have embedded in your mind. So God bless you. I hope that people listening to you right now will see that as an example for their own prayer life. Well, I know that I didn't want to displease the Lord by being lazy and not praying it for each person, but I just didn't think I was up to doing that. Nothing lazy about what you're doing. I mean, think about this, Darlene. How many people have taken a passage like this, and this is both beautiful and elegant, and then written that message on the tablet of their heart so that with purpose and passion and poignancy, they are able to pray that for other persons. I think it is absolutely stunning. And by the way, I love this passage as well. Yesterday I quoted this very passage, but actually starting at verse 15, where you see who the object of this prayer is. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and in earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or rulers or powers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So you think about the object of that very prayer, starting in verse 9, that you have committed to memory, and I hope it influences many people to do something very similar. Mm. Well, thank you. Uh, That gives me some peace, definitely, because I want to keep praying it for people, but I, I want to pray correctly. <laughs> well, I think he inspired all of us. This is something that I've, for so many years, been saying on the Bible Answer Man broadcast, hide God's words in your heart so that you may not sin against him. What you want to know is his word. It becomes the foundation for counseling, for prayer, for all of the significant aspects of human existence, and there is no discipline, rightly speaking, more significant than that. And as with Darlene, it will greatly enhance your prayer life and its significance. We'll be right back in just a few moments with more answers to your questions right here on the Bible Answer Men broadcast. Please don't touch that dial. If you're not horrified, you should be, because the relentless assaults on sanity have now reached a fevered pitch. In fact, you know nothing less than civilization is at stake when ideology trumps reality or when psychology trumps biology. That's wokeism in a nutshell. The threat is not only critical, it's urgent, which is why Christians need to wake up and wake up fast. 
You won't want to miss the upcoming special issue of the Christian Research Journal that contains everything you need to know about the cult of wokeism and its impact on Western civilization. You'll read sobering articles with penetrating analysis of the social and mental disease that is reaching a flashpoint. To receive your copy of the special woke edition of the Christian Research Journal, visit equip.org. That's equip.org. Or call 888-7000-CRI. That's 888-7000-CRI. We'll be back in just a moment with more from Hank Hanegraaff. Endless predictions about end-time events and published timetables counting down the end have proven to be wrong 100% of the time. When doomsday predictions fail, there is double-duty damage. Many theologically juvenile and scripturally superficial Christians abandon the faith as a result of these failed predictions, and the public image of Christianity is damaged, making Christians appear to be hopelessly naive and easily duped biblical bumpkins. Hank Hanegraaff's book, Prophetic Stars in the Constellation of Biblical Prophecy, will equip you not only to interpret biblical prophecy correctly, but to remember it as well. To receive your copy of Prophetic Stars as our thank you for your gift, simply call 888-7000-CRI and make a gift to support CRI's life-changing outreaches, or visit equip.org. The number of wolves surrounding the Christian flock is growing, and they relish nothing more than docile sheep utterly incapable of defending themselves. From militant secularists at home to militant Islamists abroad, the assaults on biblical Christianity are growing dangerously. But Christian Research Institute support team members aren't in favor of feeding these wolves. Instead, each day they're making possible an array of outreaches that defang these wolf packs with solid arguments and evidence that have stood the test of time. What's more, support team members are equipping themselves with CRI's Equipping Essentials, a hand-picked collection of the best apologetics tools around. Your selection of resources are just our way of saying thanks. To learn more about the benefits of membership, simply visit equip.org. Once again, that's equip.org. If you're not horrified, you should be, because the relentless assaults of wokeism on sanity and common sense have now reached a fevered pitch. In fact, some astute observers see more than deranged ideologies at work. It's as though the gates of hell have been opened. And alarmingly, the speed of this mindless rush to chaos and potential civilizational collapse is gaining momentum daily. That means Christians need to wake up and wake up fast. One of the best alarm clocks is the upcoming special Woke edition of the Christian Research Journal. It contains sobering articles with penetrating analyses of a social disease that is reaching a flashpoint. To receive your copy of this special edition of the Christian Research Journal, visit equip.org. That's equip.org. Or call 888-7000-CRI. That's 888-7000-CRI. Now back to the Bible Answer Man broadcast and your host, Hank Hanegraaff. 
Thank you very much, Randy. Let's go back to the phone lines. We'll talk next to Jeremiah listening in Oregon. Hi, Jeremiah. Hey, Hank. Hi. Um, I have a question that involves what happens when Christians die. I have heard two sides of it, and the first one is, of course, that we, when we die, we go, our spirit goes straight to heaven to be with Jesus, and the second one is that when we die, our, uh, we are so, quote, sleeping, and then on the second coming, Jesus will come and resurrect us, and I just want to know which one is true. So if you don't mind, could I have your input on it? Well, I'd love to answer that question, Jeremiah. I mean, when you think about it, the Bible unambiguously answers the question. And what I would do is go to Luke chapter 16 first, and there you see a man who was named by Jesus Lazarus. And he dies, and the biblical text says, the angels carried him to Abraham's bosom, or paradise, and he was comforted there. And that is a way of communicating that when Lazarus died, his soul continued to have conscious existence in the presence of God. He was being comforted there, and that's precisely what happens. I've mentioned Jeremiah on the broadcast. My dad, who I love very much, died in 1997, and today he is absent from the body present with the Lord. So the Bible speaks of the body asleep in death, but the Bible never speaks of the soul asleep in death. If the soul did not continue in conscious awareness after the death of the body, it would have been incongruent for the Apostle Paul to desire to be away from the body in order to be at home with the Lord. Okay, thank you. Thanks for your call. Let's go back to the phone lines. We'll talk to Cindy in Alton, Illinois. Hi, Cindy. Hi, Hank. How are you? I'm good. I enjoy your show very much, Hank. Thank you. I have a question. There's so many drawings and paintings of Jesus. Is there anything in the Bible that describes his physical appearance? No, we have absolutely no idea whatsoever what Jesus Christ looked like. I mean, we could say that given the area of the world in which he was birthed, one person with two natures, 100% human, 100% divine, we could surmise he may have uh, Semitic features. But the idea that people have today that they know what Jesus Christ looks like is just simply wrong. Unfortunately, there's a book that's very popular, Heaven is for Real, and in that book you have a three-year-old supposedly seeing Jesus Christ and knowing precisely what Jesus Christ looks, and then being able to say that Jesus has an exact earthly double which has been painted by a child prodigy, and so we can know precisely what Jesus looks like, the color of his eyes, the color of his hair, and so forth. But that's simply wrong-headed. There's no evidence for it whatsoever, and books like Heaven is for Real in the movie, quite abominable when it comes to these kinds of things. Well, because, you know, they have so many the statues and the paintings and drawings of him are beautiful. I mean... But there are some churches that I've seen statues that have him with dark skin. And then I've seen, uh, you know, the blonde, blue-eyed, light-skinned Jesus. So I just found that was, you know, pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean, the big thing is 
we have no idea what Jesus Christ actually looks like. Everything is simply an artist rendering the idea that a person might have, but we cannot say, as Colton Burpo allegedly said, that we can now know precisely what Jesus Christ looks like because he went to heaven, met with Jesus Christ, and has seen his earthly double on earth. Yeah, because there's a lot of non-believers that they grab onto that and say, well, you guys got your false, you know, is this what he looks like? You know, and then they, they go into that about, well, maybe he didn't exist because, look, you got this photograph, and this isn't really him, so... Yeah. Well, we know he existed because we have the evidence from the Bible, and the Bible is demonstrably divine as opposed to merely human in origin. Not only that, but there's a general consensus, not only in the spiritual community, but in the secular community, that Jesus did exist as a historical being. There are some people that still doubt that, but the general consensus in academia is that Jesus existed, and all the evidence, of course, points in that direction, that God is not only transcendent, but he made himself knowable. He had the power to lay down his life and to take it up again. He's the one who lived the perfect life in our place, and as the resurrected Christ, he is the earnest of our resurrection. But don't you, just real quick, one more touch on that, and uh, I appreciate your time, but don't you think that he would have to have a certain look so people would you know, be drawn to him, or was that just the grace of God that made him glow? You know what I'm saying? Because he couldn't look like like the creature of the Black Lagoon, and people would come up to him, you know? Well, actually, if you look at Isaiah 53, although poetic language, Isaiah says he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. So Messiah did not appear as royalty. But when you heard Messiah speak, for example, if you listen to the majestic Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he spoke as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. And that is what attracted people to him. It wasn't his appearance. It was the majesty of his communication. Well, that makes sense. I hope you have many blessings, and I love I love what God has done, and I am so grateful because He's pulled me out of the pit many times, and I'm finally arrived, and I and I learn every time I listen to you. So thank you so much for everything. Thank you, Cindy. Appreciate your call, Ashley. Next, St. Louis, Missouri. Hi, Ashley. Hi, Hank. How are you? Doing well, thank you. I have a question for you. I'm wondering if God is merciful and God is forgiving. And someone gets to the point where they just can't take this life anymore and they commit suicide. How can God damn them? How can they be in internal damnation forever? Because circumstances here are just so much where they can't take it anymore. Well, there's nothing in the Bible that suggests that suicide is the unforgivable sin. However, a believer in their right mind should never contemplate it any more than they should contemplate murder, because suicide is the murder of oneself. And life and death are not our prerogative, they are the province and prerogative of God, and therefore we should never try to take on a prerogative that is not ours. And we have to recognize that we are ultimately forged in the fires of difficulty. 
I think of my dad as he was dying. He was uh, dying of the fibrosing of the lungs where he couldn't assimilate oxygen. And so he was literally suffocating to death. And during some of the most agonizing times, I used to ask my dad, and he, he lived that way for quite a long time. And as I saw him just struggle to get air, I just said to him, Dad, wouldn't you love to go home to be with the Lord? And I still remember the twinkle in his eye, even in the agony, whereby he said, no, Hank, every moment that God gives me is valuable. And so it was, even on his deathbed, I was, by God's providence, able to get all our family to where my dad was, all the immediate family, and he was like a Jewish patriarch, blessing each one of them, and then he took that last agonizing breath and went home to be with the Lord. So every moment that God gives us on this earth is valuable, and to take life into our own hands and terminate it is something that no one in their right mind should contemplate. But certainly there are people in times of despondency that do things that they wouldn't do if, quote-unquote, in their right mind. And the Bible does not, therefore, constitute this as an unforgivable sin, but certainly nothing that anyone should ever contemplate in their right mind. Yeah, but, I mean, with, I mean, I know circumstances can always get worse, and things can always get, you know, bad, but when it's just constant, nonstop, over and over. And it's just like, you know, why, what is my purpose here? Why do I keep doing this? Why well, there I is keep... a purpose, though. There's a purpose in suffering. That's my whole point. I mean, through suffering, we are being forged into usable vessels for the Lord. I mean, you think about suffering. Think about the Apostle Paul, the beatings and the shipwreck and the insults and the very difficult circumstances of life. And he said, whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of Jesus Christ, my Lord. And then he went on to say, I want to know him in the fellowship of his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Jesus bore every indignity that one human being could foist upon another, and he is our example. If our Lord could do that, we should be imitators of our Lord and recognize that it is in the cauldron of affliction that we are poured out in new and better fashion. We're out of time for this edition of the Bible Answer Man broadcast. Thanks for tuning in. See you next time with more of the broadcast. We appreciate you tuning in to the Bible Answer Man broadcast. Before we sign off today, here's our contact information. By phone, dial 888-7000-CRI, which translates to 888-7000-274. On the internet, go to equip.org. That's equip.org. You can also write CRI at Post Office Box 8500, Charlotte, North Carolina. The zip code is 28271. Our prayer is that today's broadcast has equipped you to better defend your faith and encouraged you to pursue sound doctrine and godly living. Thank you for listening. The Bible Answer Man broadcast is supported by listeners like you. We're on the air because life and truth matter. With the new atheists increasing their mockery of Christianity and militant secularism ridiculing religious convictions of all stripes, 
We clearly don't need zealous but misguided Christians inviting further abuse by misreading and misrepresenting biblical prophecies. Hank Hanegraaff's book, Prophetic Stars in the Constellation of Biblical Prophecy, will enable you to understand, remember, and communicate biblical prophecy. Moreover, your investment in prophetic stars through the Christian Research Institute will equip and encourage eager Christian brothers and sisters who genuinely yearn for truth and reliable tools to apprehend and defend their faith. To receive your copy of Prophetic Stars as our thank you for your gift, simply call 888-7000-CRI, 888-7000-CRI, or visit equip.org.